Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to What's the Schemata. This is our almost monthly uh, podcast and all things skin therapy and i'm with uh, our co-host mr dr robert brockman Rob. get it right chris get it right mate sorry mate <laughs> sorry <laughs> now awesome awesome uh <laughs> nice to be here chris nice to be here and of course we have our, our special guest remco yes we how do you remco. say it, chris go on remco von der Ringhart. I nearly, yeah, I think close, yes. really good. <laughs> close. Yeah. Many thanks for Chris it. Chris has been practicing. Yeah. It's been, a, you know, Remco, you're an old friend of ours, really old friend, but we always, you know, we always just, on first name basis. And so we don't get a chance to use your second name as much as we should. So, yeah. Yeah, but during the rest of the world, I mean, my, my, my second name is a very difficult one to pronounce. Only people in the Netherlands are able to do this. <laughs> Uh, correctly so <laughs> I, I just knew use my first name <laughs> you're a bit like a um a soccer player like you know pele or something or you know those sorts of guys he's no, known by his first name <laughs> no, 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 no. yeah 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 well i mean maybe we could see i just ask a bit about you i mean some of the listeners might know you from you know training you obviously have done a lot of um, DVDs. You've done a couple with myself and other training DVDs, and people might see your face popping up in in um, live training and things like that. Now, now, Rob, you had a, a question. About yeah, that. look, I've got a couple of anecdotes. I thought it'd be a fun way to get started. So, mm. so Remco, I heard a rumor slash I think you told me once uh, <laughs> that your first sort of trip into schema therapy, basically, you were Jeff Young's cameraman. Can you talk? Can you say a few things about it? I thought I was intriguing. Yeah, sure, and that's true. I started. Uh, uh, I finished my studies in 1993. I did some volunteer work as a therapist, and then after one year, I got my my first job. And 1995, and, uh, 1996, Jeff Young came over for the first time to to the Netherlands for the first pilot training and pilot study. And yes, as a starting therapist, I was allowed to be presence and then yeah as a cameraman i also did a camera work when uh, beck tim beck visited and oh, was, yeah. i was able as the cameraman wow. to be present when jeff young was conducting a session with the real clients because he, <laughs> he, he allowed honey uh, van genderen with the client and uh, he wanted to do a session she was stuck with her with that client so i was present and yeah. it was nice yeah and then i was yeah. when the first official trainings uh, took place as part of the borderline trial uh, I was allowed to really participate as uh, yeah during the training, and then Arnaud approached me and said, uh, "Apparently, I made a good impression." That's always something that sort of feels like an ego boost when I feel a little bit down. I feel yeah, but I I did make a good impression today. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how your trajectory happens from there. You, you kind of think to yourself, you know, if if only I knew back then where where schematherapy would have taken me. I, I, I'm wondering, is that the same? So you feel? Well, yeah, definitely. I definitely could not imagine what 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 place it would be in my life. What I what I did know at that time was, I was trained as a CBT therapist. That fits me and my personality. I like to be focused and structured, not just doing things because it feels good, but actually do things that have been proven to be effective. 
but uh, after the first training, I really felt like, yeah, oh, well, yeah, this is why I want to do therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be able to just be more human, more up close and personal, but not just because it feels right, but as a, yeah, to use it as an intervention, as a method. Yeah, yeah so, there, there is those two sides too. I think often in schema, it really um, suits people's personalities. And I think it's a bit like Jeff Young too. I get the sense as a real cognitive side of Jeff. Uh, yeah. who's very structured and he likes to, you know to understand exactly. exactly what's happening at the same time there's a more emotional side uh, he, he sort of understands and conveyed that in the model that we have to to make a change on an emotional level and so there is those yeah. two things always present in schema yeah. yeah totally agree I guess when you see him at work and I've seen him a lot in role plays and uh, uh, things that these are the most wonderful moments where on the one hand you have this sensitivity being very emotional on the, one, on the other hand also being structured and almost obsessive compulsive so the obsessive compulsive side takes over when he does his presentations that's more at the front you could say but mm. during the session it's more balanced and it's a beautiful combination yeah mm. so it's kind of ironic as well that you started off with this kind of um with the cameraman type thing and then you went on to make all these dvds and things yeah, <laughs> uh, but quite early on, I, I, I did some trainings, and I like to teach. I like to to be uh, to work in that way, uh, but not just talk about it, but actually also show show, show stuff. So in the early trainings, which were more on CBT, I asked colleagues to do some role plays in the evening hours with big cameras that we had back then. Just tape some 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 of these role plays to be able to show something else than just me talking about it or doing a live presentation. Yeah, in preparation for this, uh, we uh, hit up um, Facebook and got on some of the really helpful Facebook um, web um, um, groups. Um, and we have got a question, a set of questions here for you from um, various people. And nice. given that you're the the imagery magician, we, you know, we roll up, roll up. <laughs> Come on, oh, come on in, you know, roll up. Here we go. You know, we're here for uh, a little bit of um, your, your 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 magic show. <laughs> we want some tips and tricks. Where did you come up with that? I, mean, I don't know. Tips, <laughs> tips and tricks for the, to show us your your magic, your schema therapy and imagery magic. Now, put pressure one. on your Remco. Okay, no pressure. Oh, well, you know, well, okay. Number one, this is from Vicky. Okay. Uh, how uh, would you explain um, to clients the benefits of getting in touch with the vulnerable child mode? What's your take? That is a good question. It is. Um, well, first thing that's, that comes to mind is that it is, it's, it is good to be uh, very clear about that this is one of your primary goals in therapy. So at the start of therapy, you want to explain about the therapy and what, what will take place. Also be very clear that, yeah, I, one of the goals will be to connect to your emotional side. Uh, uh, for every session, I will try to connect to these emotions. And that might trigger, uh, that is not a nice message to our clients because they realize uh, they come to you because they don't, they want to feel less uh, anxious or less angry. And then you say, well, I want to connect to your emotional sides. So yeah, it is a good question. What will be your rationale for that? You can't just say, well, uh, because I want this, <laughs> basically make the patient suffer. So I guess it starts with acknowledging the pain. Yeah, yeah, it will make you, I do realize this is a difficult question because I, I'm saying that I want you to become more emotional and basically what you've been doing so far is trying to get rid of these emotions and it makes sense. I mean, if I have a headache, 
I take a painkiller, it makes sense. Yeah. But anyway, at the end of the day, when you think about it, the headache that you have might be a symptom for something else. Mm. Actually, that that something else might be the real issue, the real problem. So instead of just sort of trying to get rid of the pain, uh, maybe you could use that symptom as a sign to connect to the real issue here. Uh, if you just take a painkiller again and again, you'll never find out that actually there's an inflammation in the body and that needs to be taken care of. And I guess on an emotional level, it's a bit similar to as 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 this and the, the the fear the anger these are symptoms they signify something else or the, the unmet needs the emotional wounds that have been mm. the result of those unmet needs and it's actually about healing those emotional wounds wounds uh, that is what the therapy is about so with that rationale i try to sort of lure people into the <laughs> or at least try to come with me into my day in a way <laughs> come with me to my emotional day you're doing so well because it sounded so inviting until you said the lure bit <laughs> but <laughs> i guess yeah. an important issue that's not my that is my mm-hmm. yeah I, I believe in it but it's already proven in many other yeah. ways that's to yeah. offer hope is a very yeah, important element so mm. it can be reassuring in mm. some ways of a hope that actually it will turn out for the good. Not because just to feel pain is good in itself, mm. but it allows us to actually do some real healing. And that will make yeah. you actually feel better. That sort of initiates hope. And what you're doing there, Remco, isn't it, um, that you are you're starting to to undermine an emotional inhibition schema at that point. Yeah. Right? The client's yeah. coming in with this idea like, we're here, you have to get rid of my pain. Uh, and you, you would like uh, them to come across to something else, like in order to help me with my pain, I have to go through it a little bit or I have to go uh, into it more. Yeah, exactly. To learn yeah. how to regulate it in another way. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess that goes for both parties, I guess. We don't want to be, we, we have to, it's important that we're not too afraid of emotions and emotional pain. It's easier said than done, especially it, for the client. As a therapist? You're as a therapist as as well. yeah, 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 sure. For both parties, yeah, as, as well as therapists. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you know the feeling and also doing trainings. The natural response they all have is when you see somebody in pain, you want to help, you want to sort of calm mm-hmm. down, you want to ease that pain. And yeah, of course, therapy is about healing. But if you do it too quickly and you sort of try to downsize it right away, it's not really providing a corrective emotional experience. It's, it's maybe offering a painkiller and for that moment it might work. Yeah. So one of the things I realized is we don't have to be too careful, too, too, too apprehensive of emotional pain. But then again, it's easier said than done. Yeah. 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 That absolutely. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a nice metaphor as well, mm. Remco, that you use. I'm interested in these metaphors. You know, the, the, this is a part of the art of being a therapist, which is not yeah. necessarily in the evidence of something. But how do you convey these little subtleties yeah. and telling a story or a metaphor? Yeah. Um, no, we're just saying, well, looking at DVDs, the, 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 we all learn, not just by reading, but looking at examples. And, and it, it, it is more than just the words. It's also the way and metaphors, the one-liners. Yes. Um, I, I, even now, if I, if, I, if I present a rationale for CBT, I constantly am reminded of the, 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 the colleague that I've been doing, uh, yeah. seeing do that when I was uh, starting therapist. The impact that that had still sort of goes on in the I've got to admit, Remco, your particularly uh, the DVD, some of the DVDs that you've done in the past, these have been for me, I've probably internalized a lot of these one liners from yeah. from some of your stuff and some of uh, particularly Dutch colleagues and st- even stuff Chris has done. 
And it really can be useful to kind of, yeah, you know, to see the example. And then you do pick up those one-liners, whether it's from a DVD or a, yeah. a supervisor. You know, leave here, <laughs> leave now. I don't accept this, you know, and those kind of ideas. Um, you're dealing with me now. You're dealing with me now. What's wrong with you? You know, all that kind of stuff. What's wrong with you? I know where that comes from. <laughs> There's a Jeffism. Yeah, Jeff did a video. I guess, What's wrong with you? Yeah. I guess what I, you know, it's from this, on this side, when we, we watch these DVDs, it looks so confident and put together and all those things. How did you get to the stage where, where you were so confident with these one-liners and the sort of healthy adult sentiment in those moments? Where did you get this from? Well, I know different than anybody else. So I also needed examples. So, and Jeff Young definitely has been an example for me. I mean, when he did those first trainings, he came to the Netherlands twice a year for four days in a row. These were lengthy days and you would hear his voice constantly. I would be looking forward to it, but after one or two days, you also would be drained in a way. But in, in those days, he got internalized. It, uh, one of my first clients was an, uh, an English uh, client. It was much easier to do therapy with her than with my Dutch clients because I had all these one-liners from Jeff. <laughs> Jeff Young one-liners, yeah. just pulling them out. Yeah, yeah And just yeah. repetition, I guess. It, uh, he had uh, making flying hours. That also helps. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the metaphors uh, earlier on. Um, you don't have to, but personally, I tend to think in, in, in terms of images and metaphors. Um, I find them really helpful. Mm. Maybe something else works for another person, but metaphors, yeah, when you, once you came up with them, once you thought of a certain image, yeah, it becomes part of your repertoire. And, yeah. And if those metaphors work metaphor. a few times. You know, yeah, if you put yeah, one out there and it really connects for the client and you think, okay, we can use that again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's okay. a lot of like like trying things out, like different supervisors or you hear something say from someone like Wendy or you go, wow, that's a really cool like way to convey yeah. this sentiment. Yeah. Yep. Okay, I got some more questions for you. This so there's one here from hmm. Jasmine and it's about this kind of one of the modes that's in the, well, it's a newer kind of mode, this sort of helpless surrenderer or, or victimized mode. Um, in the context of, of uh, ischemia treatment, you know, how do you approach this kind of mode, especially keeping in mind, you know, that we're trying to get across to some kind of experiential work eventually? How, how do you deal with these kind of uh, presentations or behavior? When the patient is presenting himself in a very helpless way, as a yeah. 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 victim, yeah. Like, like, you know. Yeah, and I imagine even in the imagery, right, where they'd be like, nothing would help and nothing can change, you know, even with the with imagery rescripting, yeah. Well, I guess it starts with, like always, with the question, who am I listening to? It is a vital question because the answer to that question will, 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 uh, will define the course of action that you have to follow. If the answer to the question is, it's a child mode, it's more about, what is the type of mode that I'm listening to? Is it child mode? We all know it's about validating the needs of that child. But if the answer to the question is, this behavior that I'm looking at coming from a coping mode, what is the strategy that we'd like to follow, that we have to follow with coping modes? We, we try to bypass, and often it's a matter of negotiation. You try to acknowledge the function, but then again also try to sort of provide a rationale that you want to connect to the emotional side. When it's a parent mode, you want to fight it, you want to address that side. So with that helpless behavior, um, the way that I tend to see it, I, I know from two different modes, child mode and coping mode. The child mode, feeling helpless, feeling in despair. And um, uh, yeah, what you would do in if, the, if, if it would be in an emotional state that the patient is 
showing this this helpless behavior it really depends basically then on the phase of therapy is this a start phase then we need to be guiding more and we need to take them by the hand and you would be more supportive but then again if it would be the end phase of therapy it would be more pushing confronting they need to take over um personally I'm i know guessing this would be more towards the start phase uh, and in fact with this question this is from jasmine i can even pin it to a kind of example in, in my mind yeah. uh, it'd be sort of someone who i'm sort of guessing i'm, I'm trying to read into what jasmine's um, sort of after where you are trying to let's say to do some imagery and to stand up to a perpetrator or or get them out or something and it's like no no nothing can help nothing nothing you say can no he's too strong it doesn't um that kind of try that won't work done that already yeah 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 Yeah. there there was the second option that is the one that i know uh, quite recently had a patient who was a lot of time in that mode and i see that more as a coping mode in Mm -hmm. in her case Mm -hmm. and that's I'm not saying it, it has to be that way for all patients, but in, in, in that case, it was, in my perception, was coming from a coping mode, more over controller, sort of being in an evaluative state, looking at what's going on, not in a critical way, like uh, like uh, looking at yourself, not liking what you see, what a parent mode would be like, but in a coping mode where you are trying to be in control and you try to have this overview, and that could also be this evaluative state where you see, yeah, you offer this as an option, no, did that already, tried it out, and one of the effects it has is for me as a therapist, it makes me feel helpless. I feel sort of frustrated. Absolutely. You sort of suggest no. Because we have no, to win the exchange, no. right? That this is the, the yeah, idea. Well, yeah, you're blocked. And and the, 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 the difficulty is that for the patients, they're in a state where they evaluate the whole situation and shooting down every option that comes uh, comes along. At the same time, underneath, schemes are activated and they feel actually feel helpless. So they might be feeling sad and lonely but still being predominantly in a state where they where they have this overview being in a controlled state so to actually see it this way was helpful the moment that i started to see it with this patient i sort of jumped into an empathic confrontation doing it not the way that i trained people to do it, I was doing <laughs> it too rapidly and i was stumbling maybe but it really helped me because in that moment i could point it out as being this protective side trying to get control, but at the same time shooting down every... So one way or the other, you, you, you know, it sounds like you have to identify the mode where it's coming from, very likely a coping mode, and start to work with that side. And and yeah. it's not easy at all. It's not easy at all for us. No, no, your own schemes get activated. So I guess specifically this example will be tricky for a lot of therapists because we, we have all self-sacrifice. We want to help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try to do your best. And the yeah. other person says, no, no, no. Okay, I've got another one here. Okay, from Sheen, uh, Sheena. Okay, so and this is something that I think we all relate to as well. How do you approach clients who present despising their child self? Or, or I mean, I, I, I mean, I kind of had these sort of clients as well. I had someone recently is a battle with this sort of problem of of denying that they have a, a child or a, a vulnerable state. And I've always sort of said it's not; it's a metaphor. It's like a, you know, it's like you don't actually have a, like a little homunculus inside you. It's, it's a, it's a state. <laughs> um, but if, particularly with the despising stuff, what, you know, have you got any, any magic tricks for us? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I'm not sure with the magic tune. It's come on. A, Look, you know what? You know what? Well, yeah, the magic yeah, trick yeah, thing, Remco. The magic trick thing. I can tell you what Remco's made. This is what I think the magic is. It's breaking down complex ideas and creative things into a set of steps. That's how I see it. That's what I see that you're really good at in, yeah. in the model, Remco. That's my feedback, mate. Well, I'm not sure if I'm good at it. What I try to do is I try to get an understanding myself. What, what is the actual problem? What's the real problem here? And, it, and I guess in this situation as well, it started with the question, who am I listening to? I mean, it's behavior, but the behavior could come from, from different modes. Yeah. Especially when no. you point out being this, mm. the despise that patients have for their child. You could think of a parent mode. They look mm -hmm. at themselves. The idea of having a vulnerable uh, child seems like weak. You're just horrible. Mm. That might come from parent modes. Mm. But if they sort of deny having this emotional side, it could also be a coping mode. And again, uh, it starts with a question because every mode has a different strategy that we try to follow. Do we need to address it, fight it? Do we need mm. to negotiate it in order to mm. bypass? Do we need to validate it? Yeah. But especially I think... what sorry. Well, with the, the, the what you the, the question about the, the patients expressing uh, feeling despised for the for the child part for the emotional side it reminds me of a patient with a very very strong parent mode and they were totally fused she was totally mm, fused yeah. that. that's what i'm and, thinking too yeah. Yeah. yeah and it starts to be i guess that that is part of uh, of every therapy model that's part of what we all do as therapists we try to diffuse or become aware it, mm. The method might be different. In CBT, you write down the belief on the whiteboards, or in psychoanalysis, you do a lot of analysis about this. You talk, hey, you try to build up an understanding. What mode language is really helpful in schema therapy to diffuse and to make yourself aware. Because if you can look at it, you're not full of that feeling anymore. You can you can look at it. You can be aware mm. of that. Yeah. yeah. But the, the other side to that is as well that uh, with so much anger towards being emotional and vulnerable. I guess it's also a sign that patients often didn't have a chance. They they did not uh, they did not experience themselves the feeling of being of compassion. They never mm -hmm. learned self compassion. So it's also an unknown territory for them. And well, I wouldn't say that is magic, but that is a metaphor. Use <laughs> is 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 the broccoli metaphor because uh, yeah. uh, what we could yeah. say to the patient is that. Yeah, I know when I say these kinds and, 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 and compassionate things toward that emotional side to yourself, I see your face, you twitch and you turn, you, it, sound, it feels like you, you really hate this. But it's also because you don't know that feeling that well. But it reminds me of when my daughter started to eat vegetables and what I'm offering her a bite of broccoli, she also had that same face like, ah, ah, I don't mm -hmm. like this. Does that mean that broccoli is a bad it's kind of food? You know, of course. It's good for you. Yeah, Full of vitamins. Mm, but you absolutely. have to use the taste. You have to acquire a taste for that. And there's no no different when it comes to these emotional experiences. You have to acquire a taste for being cared for and being being vulnerable and being okay with that. So I won't push that full the, the whole broccoli trunk through your throat in one go. Self-compassion. Bite by bite, <laughs> you need to acquire a taste. So I won't stop talking about your emotional side. I won't stop being caring and being full of empathy. But I will keep in mind that for you, it's hard work. Yeah. You can titrate things, I guess, as well, couldn't you? If you're doing imagery, you can still titrate things to have a little bit of empathy, or you can do empty chair work where you're talking to a vulnerable child rather than talking to them directly or something. But yeah. it sounds like yeah. that that fusion thing is always so hard. Sometimes those clients that are really fused, it's all of me hates myself. It's kind of like, well, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. And I always sort of think it to myself, also, maybe yeah, that's what you what yeah. you mean with tight trading. I'm not sure. Well, just trying, you know, like instead of like say, Remco, you're a lovely person. I really care about you. That might be like, that might be just the broccoli. Can I eat the broccoli? But yeah, if yeah, I'm too much. if I'm talking to it to an empty chair, or I'm you know, maybe doing, um, you know, just maybe navigating my language a little bit so it's less direct, but still the sentiments yeah. there, that's just calm. So you mean scaffolding, scaffolding everything actually? Yeah, in, in so this case, building it up over time. Compassion yeah. talk. You wouldn't start maybe laying it on too thick. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. if you notice that the client becomes so activated by that kind of talk, maybe you would start to, a bit smaller and you sprinkle it in slowly. And like, does that make sense? Yeah. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. But at the same time, I also think it's we need to be microscopic in in in, in trying to see what is the emotional response, mm. and really ask specifically for that primary emotional response. Because if you offer something that we feel is okay, we offer empathy. We expect a patient to appreciate that and say, "Oh, that feels good." But especially mm. with these patients who find yeah. it really hard, that won't be that strong feeling that, that, that we were looking for, but they might have a slight primary emotional response that is slightly positive. You have this thing, we did it in the conference, goodish, goodish, yeah, exactly. badish, yeah. Uh, right? Yeah, I did. I specifically asked for, when you hear me, under, basically I'm offering my understanding. How does that make you feel? And I'm not asking you, do you feel great right now? But does it have a sort of a goodish flavor to it or does it make you feel does it give you like a baddish feeling or do you remain totally neutral when i when you hear me say i understand when i offer my understanding and try to aim for that primary emotional response um, and also being aware that this primary even the tiny moment is very significant it's mm. it is it is essential because in that moment the system responds uh, in a very natural way they have a good feeling when something like care or empathy is offered. Mm. They just need to be more aware of it, not expecting the the the, the 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 grand changes. But these tiny moments might be essential in building up a an understanding. Okay, maybe this is something that I need to become better at. Maybe I'm an amateur if it comes down to yeah. receiving empathy. And because when you, um, I guess when you're going into these techniques with someone who experiences a lot of emotional pain, it's important to to get them to notice some of the rewarding aspects of doing that, hopefully as soon as possible. If it was only yeah. going to be painful, then no one would sign up for it, right? So, you know, I always think, you know, with imagery scripting, that first time when you did imagery scripting and they were like, Whoo! Like that is so important because now you, you kind of, as like you said, with a lure, you've got them a little bit on the hook. They experienced yeah. your care. They experienced a shift. And now they would want actually to do more. Yeah. So we have to get to that ways, stage. It's a form of, yeah. In many ways, I guess what we do is a form of counter conditioning. And mm -hmm. we provide it with something that <clears> normally <throat> is associated with all kinds of negative feelings. But we try to sort of build up this association with, with good positive feelings. Mm building up the awareness of that positive feeling uh, to and make we have to go through some some of that painful stuff to get to the the corrective experience yeah, yeah. now this reminds me remco actually at the conference the the uh, connect conference that you you attended and, and presented some awesome material at that conference um you you i was interviewing you actually at that conference and you presented this kind of really cool way of i guess applying to experiential techniques which seemed to be sort of a three-step-ish process. Could you talk us through that? Like how you apply that to the process of either experiential work or limited reparenting? 
Could you describe that yeah. a bit explicitly? Because that's, I think everyone would love to hear more about that. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you appreciate it. I also appreciated it. It was the result of uh, a talk that I had with uh, Julie Kranz, who is an assistant professor at the uh, University of Nijmegen in the Netherlands. It was a nice synergy that we had where we're just talking about what you try to do and how to work with that. She's as a researcher more aware of memory research. And as we talked about it, it was uh, uh, breaking it down to, to three building blocks, so to say. Basically, a lot of what we do is, first, we need to activate schemas and because it, scheme activation is necessary in order to provide the corrective emotional experience. You need that emotional response, the pain, in order to provide a corrective emotional experience. experience. But that emotional experience might be gone because the patient is not so much aware of it or tends to forget it because of all the... Uh, the, 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 the the, the, the way that information is processed in the brain, they only select, they only interpret it, certain information that goes along with their schemas, that fits their schemas. So you need to build, you need to consolidate that experience. So the three building blocks that as I described them to you at the conference is, it's, is activation, activation of schemas, then providing a corrective emotional experience, and then to consolidate that experience. And it's a simple structure, but the moment that we talked about it that way, I started to see it in many different ways that I'm doing schema therapy. I realized, oh yeah, basically now what I'm doing with focusing on all the sensory details, energy, that's scheme activation, because I need that pain. Now what I'm stepping in, I provide a corrective emotional experience. Oh, but then I need to rem remind myself of the fact that this experience is essential, but it also needs to be consolidated. It needs to be remembered. And just focusing to build up an awareness, as we just spoke about this, the, 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 how do you feel when I when when I offer you my understanding? Does it give you a goodish feeling, a baddish feeling? That is sort of focusing, building up an awareness, and awareness is consolidating. It helps to remember. Being aware is also being able to remember. So, this. so it's it's your uh, three step card trick. Yeah, <laughs> I don't leave that in. Correct, but, but, and then consolidate. <laughs> the consolidation bit is that I guess you're saying is it just remembering it, or is it a take home message, or yeah. can you maybe so explain integrating explain it that? into the system? It's mm. a, it sort of needs to yeah. be rooted in the system. It's like planting little. Okay. Yeah. So that's like saying, then, sort of, what did you take from this? So part of it might be, what yeah. did you take from this? Yeah. Part of it might be like, right from I'm watching you, Remco. Uh, what did you notice about this? Did you notice, did it feel, I think you had this kind of system, which was kind of cool, like, did it feel basically neutral? Like uh, it had no impact or listening to those words, did it, you use words like goodish and baddish, right? So did it feel yeah, kind of goodish? Small, the, the small uh, changes. Yeah, you're not aiming for the, mm -hmm. for the, for the big changes, like uh, doesn't this feel great because nobody will sort of acknowledge that, but mm -hmm. you try mm -hmm. to make them sensitive for these t tiny minor changes as they might feel. Mm -hmm. And then consolidation is also just homework, just providing it with mm -hmm. an audio flash is also a way of consolidating. It's, yeah, uh, rooting it into the system. We sure. talked about internalizing uh, this needs to be internalized. The only thing mm. that is necessary in order to do that is to to give it attention, to repeat it a lot of the times. And to, yeah. Okay, I have Love another it. question here. Okay, so this is from uh, Tanner in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, okay, so our friend, the detached protector, what are some tips for bypassing the detached protector mode? 
when usual things like deepening techniques, thickening through affect, through emotional priming, so sort of making things very visual, this sort of stuff, even empathic confrontation with the mode when they don't work. Yeah. What are you, well, any suggestions for tenor? Well, first of all, compliments because the, 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 what already has been tried, as you as you list uh, all the things that 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 she mentioned, Tina. Yeah, uh, sounds great. I mean, this is what you try to do. Yeah. It's intensifying. It's building up sort of emotional pressure to sort of almost break through or push past that detach protector. Um, but if that doesn't work, what are other options? Well, you could also think of it in the other way around, like. A strong resistance is is also a sign of, of the strong emotional content behind it. So maybe the strong detached protector is just a sign that it's too emotional. There's, it, it's too painful. And if you try to intensify that you're sort of get caught up in the loop where we're mm. building up pressure only builds up the resistance. Please open up to me. Please tell me about you. kind of it, is that what you mean? It's almost like this pressure of the the, the therapy interaction of you yeah. pleading yeah. Feel, and trying to feel, connect. Feel the pain. No, no, no. Yeah. I don't want to feel the pain. Show me yeah. your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But maybe you could sort of do it the other way around, or do it indirectly. Where say, well, mm -hmm. let's make it a little bit more neutral. Well, let's not mm -hmm. focus on the pain too much, but let's start the imagery work with just building up an image. Make you aware of feelings that may may not be that painful. So. You notice, know Chris. We talked about it. You also use this in your scenes in the in the DVD productions, where you ask them, "Well, uh, just close your eyes and uh, you've kids. Where are your kids right now? Are they in kindergarten? Do you, can you picture? Hey, can can you paint that picture for me? Well, what does the room look like? Where they're in? What will they be doing right now? It's a kind of a positive or a neutral image. You might do this with historic events or images, like uh, you remember the house that you lived in, what kind of color had, the door had, and can you now place your parents into that image? So you build up that emotional content. But then again, what I also like to do more and more is that you ask to visualize that detached protector. Basically what I experience, they are, the detached protector means they're in a mode, they're in an emotional state that goes along with physical, emotional uh, feelings, symptoms. You ask them to focus on this, but then to build up an image that goes along with it. What does your this this emotional state that you're in right now, not wanting to feel, is this familiar to you? Can you sort of picture yourself being in this state? What do you look like being in that place where you don't want to feel? Paint that picture to me. And then you basically are visualizing the, the detached protector. And you can do some of the negotiation in the imagery. And basically you already are doing imagery work at the same time, still trying to bypass the detached protector. I always also liked, um, I mean, this is years ago when we were doing a couple of video presentations, This um, the idea of the contamination you know, technique. You know, we think yeah, we did it in cool. slightly different ways where you would kind of play the vulnerable child mode and sort of almost method act what you thought yeah. from based on the formulation. I always thought that was something that I, I kind of took from and I guess... I myself, I think in that same you know, time, I was sort of um, playing the detached protector and asking the client, you know, so I was playing the, the the client's vulnerable child and they were playing the detached protector and getting that dialogue too. It was quite useful. But maybe you could talk, yeah. tell maybe the audience a little bit about the contamination idea. Yeah. Uh, when we're doing chair work, work, work in chairs. When you're doing chair work and then you negotiate with the, the, the protector, you ask them to sit 
come sit next to me in this chair and I try to be this vulnerable boy, this little boy that you had. look at the photograph that you have with you. I always ask him to bring a photograph. Yeah, photographs. But it doesn't work. They sit there and they talk and you, know, you, you start to notice that they, they changed chairs, but they didn't change from mode to mode. So when that happens, what you could do is you could ask them to sit in your chair as the therapist chair, uh, presumably this being the healthy adult chair in a way, or a symbol for being more healthy. And you sit in the chair of the vulnerable child. And it is like you say, sort of a method acting where you try to sit in a chair. When I sit here, I'm reminded of that boy. When I look at that photograph that I have in my hand, I see this lovely little boy. And I think that's the boy, same boy that I always heard that criticism of his parents. When when I when that would be my child, I would know that she would feel sad. When it, it would be me being in that place. And you try to sort of get really into that system speaking about words of emotions etc it's it's all being done in that chair so right after you've been doing that you ask the patient to sit in that chair again you basically ask them to repeat some of the words so you now sit in the chair that i sat in just a couple of seconds ago what did you hear me speak about kind of what did i say say the word contamination like especially yeah. a post-COVID word when you've kind of <laughs> contaminated that seat and asked them to sit in that seat where the feelings are going to resi- uh, have resided. What? It's in a way, it's simple to the moment that you say it out loud, you start to be, yeah. you, you own it. You're more. naming it. It's, it's yeah. all about ownership. When you mm. say it out loud, it becomes more part yeah. of you. Yeah. 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 Remco, you bring up something else, but I have to ask you, and that is um, the dramatic element in schema in working experientially, it's it's evident that, uh, you know, you, you say things like method acting. Uh, this is not easy. This is hard stuff sometimes for therapists to get into it. Yeah. And it's clear, like watching the DVDs, that you're really comfortable with this, or at least it appears so. Um, you know, how do you get to a stage? Probably it's not too comfortable, but uh, how does it, does it, do you get to a stage to feel confident like that, to to do the method acting and the dramatic sort of techniques how, how do we help therapists get to that point of feeling more comfortable well i guess the, 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 what is the starting point that you have and for me i always have been a, an emotional person uh, with ups and downs and it's been a struggle in life for me so being an emotional is not a difficult thing for me it's more the challenge for me is how to be maybe more in balance and without being completely cut off and I realized that for the people, they have a different starting point. I have to say, well, yeah, I make use of it. And in many ways, it is a strength that I have because I'm able to role model being emotional. The downside of me doing that, I can be maybe a bit too much in that. So I don't have difficulties in being emotional, but for some patients, it becomes a bit too much. Um, I might be... I might be offering them too much broccoli. At a, uh, at too a, hot. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I guess what, so if for another person that is not as natural because they have different backgrounds, they have a different setup, genetic setup, whatever it is, I guess the, the good thing about it is it might be, it might feel a bit difficult, but um, it's also something that you can learn. And the, the moment that you start to learn to, to appreciate being emotional more and more, that is, a, that is an experience that you can make use of in therapy. Patients have to learn that same capacity. So it might feel as a problem, but basically it also provides you with uh, learning experiences that you make use of. Yeah. Uh, where you can tell the patient, well, I also find it a bit weird, but I realize you have to fake it till you make it. Something that Chris mm-hmm. has been saying a couple of years ago. 
uh, you have to throw yourself into it and then it becomes more comfortable. Yeah. You don't have to do it right away and realize what you've been trained in doing is cutting off from emotions. You're an expert. If there would be uh, sort of an, uh, an Olympics, it would be a sort of uh, a part of the Olympic Games. You would be the gold, gold winning uh, <laughs> <laughs> athlete in that. You're an amateur when it comes to being emotional. So you have to learn to do it step by step. Yeah, so okay. a lot more um, sort of practice for therapists. I guess they get a lot of experience in the workshops. I guess that's a, a big focus in, in, mm -hmm. in live, live training. Yeah. Um, okay, we've got one more question here. We've got a limited amount of time. You've got to, you've got to live your life, okay? We've had you for an yeah, hour. Yeah, coming up for an hour. Did I offer enough magic to you guys? Magic, magic, magic. <laughs> well, this question's interesting. It's from Marco. Um, and... Marco writes, um, I would be really curious and to, uh, I would be really curious to know how Remco handles the sense of danger when you feel like there's an inner alarm that says, mm, this path might be a bit risky. Maybe it's better to try something else, e.g., you know, you know, I should target this in mode, but it could be a bit risky. So, you know, it might be that, you know, I think I need to do imagery, but am I pushing it? You know, it feels like, am I going to sort of, um, you know, sort of, you know, make the person upset or get them angry and this sort of stuff. I, I, I'm guessing from my perspective, it sounds like, you know, maybe knowing what, where your stuff stops and their stuff starts in terms of your own schemas, but what, what's your feel? Well, that's an important factor. I, I, I totally agree. But I guess I start with the question, what is risky? If risky means like we'll become emotional, emotional is not a bad thing. Yeah. As we yeah. said, you, you have mm -hmm. to activate schemas. So mm -hmm. it will become painful in a way. Uh, but then again, I totally understand that part of the question, or maybe the complete question might be about, yeah, but maybe the patient will become too emotional, flip out of their window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. And then they, they will fall back into all surviving mechanisms. Part of that might be becoming aggressive or angry. Just the fact that we can sort of conceptualize this risky as being part of the window of tolerance will be helpful because mm -hmm. we, it, that will, if you see it that way, then it starts to be about the question, how can I sort of influence that emotional arousal? Uh, maybe I can sort of create a bit more distance. Maybe I can calm down by the tone of my voice or providing more compliments or help. So a lot of wheels to turn when it's about regulating this emotional arousal. It, it's interesting yeah, as well. What I, I say to a lot of people is that if there's something risky and something goes wrong, a lot of therapists, they they kind of attribute to them doing something wrong. It's risky. I've yeah. stuffed up or made a mistake. And I kind of, I'm really trying to help people when I'm, I'm supervising, kind of, it's just data. It's kind of like it, if something doesn't go right and it's risky and it, and it doesn't work out, it, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily about you. It's just, it's, it's interesting. It's schema activation, it's modes. It's, exactly. it's what you kind of want to do. So, yeah. 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 Actually, you need that schema activation. You need that emotional mm. But I like the fact that you also pointed out, it could be that, uh, that your own stuff also plays up. Yeah. Maybe what is also good about it is even though your own stuff, your own schemas might be activated, um, uh, and maybe at that moment, uh, you might feel your own emotional arousal. You can also realize this is not just a one-time event. This might be part of a pattern. And the good thing about a pattern is there will always be other options, always be other possibilities to work on this. You don't have to do all the work in that moment. So it's not a bad thing to retreat, so to say, to say, okay, mm. we let go for now. But yeah, uh, make use of your support systems, talk with your peer supervision group, and then uh, yeah, go 
back at it again. Don't be too afraid for emotional. I, I guess the other thing, Remco, is, is that um, even though we don't like to overwhelm our clients, there, there would always be those times every now and then when the window yeah. of tolerance does, we push through. Mm. Uh, yeah. All best laid plans. That's a part yeah. of this work, working in trauma, working experientially. And of course, yeah. it doesn't feel very cool in those moments, uh, but we're there for the clients and to help them with that. But if we only avoid that, then we may never go there or yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I really like the fact that you point that out because I tend to focus. I like to think about methods and break it down to components that are something that you can handle. But at the end of the day, um, I guess it all comes down to really essential stuff like patients are in the middle of a storm. And in that moment, all the techniques might not be something you could use. The only thing you can use is to work with basic core needs and, and the, 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 the attachments that you have, the connection that you have. So when maybe that's part of that, that, that question. Things get too risky, meaning that it becomes really like, uh, like overwhelming. And there you are. And it may feel bad, but it's also a chance. In that moment, you, you're not in control anymore. The patient's not in control. But in that moment, uh, you can still do a lot of important good work. And just to realize that it is about those basic core needs. It's not just a theory with names. It is about really being there, connecting, validating the need to feel safe, to stay connected, despite the fact that you feel overwhelmed. Yeah. If that yep. makes sense. Absolutely. I, I'm Absolutely. reminded of those sessions where you feel like, whoa, this was so intense. But some of these sessions have been proven to be the most essential ones. Mm. For yeah. Clients, yeah. Do you have time for one more question before we, we finish up? Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I love like chatting around with you guys. It's really interesting. Time-wise, but... Sorry. Look, it's just about, you, you You know, the three of us, along with uh, Susan Simpson and also Matt Smout, we've been working on a book which is going to come out, we think, in this September, October. Is a Cambridge plug, Guide plug, to Therapy. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, yeah. You know, I had to plug this. But uh, it was That's absolutely good. great working with you on that, Remco, and... Something in the book we worked a lot on is the issue of termination in schema therapy. And yeah. I, I really love the way you sort of think about this and contribute to the book. And also listening to Marlene at the conference, uh, I had a real sense of clarity that, that uh, at least in, in the Dutch, with those that I talked to in the Netherlands are quite clear about, about this. Could you, could you speak to this? Like what's the best approach to think about termination in schema? with regards to the evidence and all the, all the variables? Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, it is a very important question. Something that I've been, uh, not just me, but with many other trainings we've been focusing on in the last couple of years, more and more in trainings, uh, how to approach this. I guess the, the, the start with the evidence, like Marlene that you mentioned. The research shows that in some of the studies, it was a, a time-limited approach. The cluster C study was the first one of that. It was born out of necessity in that time period we were only allowed 50 sessions of psychotherapy in the Netherlands. We had to do it with that, even though borderline studies showed that the long-term therapy was effective. 50 sessions, but it proved to be effective for, for the majority of patients. Even though during that process, I was one of the therapists in that study, I also felt like, you know, no, no, I need more time. We need more time. <laughs> to really, mm, yeah. And this is the cluster C study, yeah? Mm. Yeah. 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 So there was the, 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 it was one of, this one of the... the, the, the that's part of the evidence that we have that time labored approach is effective and research shows that the improvement still continues even after closing the therapy. 
maybe not as steep as during the therapy, but it still does continue. But that is evidence. And for a lot of therapists, that is not enough as a rationale to, to force them into a, uh, uh, in, in, into a system where you where you commit yourself to a time limit approach because you're working with the patient who is in needs and will still be sort of triggering your schemas asking quite specifically mm. about help. What I found helpful as a rationale that I can use as a therapist is to make the comparison with upgrowing children. Uh, in a way, you could say, well, what we do in schema therapy, the normal emotional development was blocked. What we do with limited parenting and all the things that we do with that is we try to unblock that emotional development and sort of provide them with learning experiences to, to develop this healthy adult, like with upgrowing children. And what do you do with upgrowing children? When they are very young, you take them by the hand. You have to be more guiding. You can't expect a healthy side of that child to be aware or to be able to create all the changes. Remco, you're just saying like, so in the, in the beginning of, you know, when, when you've got a child, uh, you'd hold their hand. That's where, that's where we, yeah. we lost you. Yeah, yeah. And children grow up and they change physically hormonally and they force you to take them in a different position. They, 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 they force you in a position where you can coach, but you can't take them by the hand anymore. At the end of that puberty, when they start to be young adults, they need to go out of the house. They will want to go out of the house and you need to push them to do things more on their own. That metaphor was helpful for me. Because in many ways, that is the same process that we want to go through with, with our patients. So uh, children, they force you that when they're 18, they go out of the house. It will be the end of it. That will be the time that, you're, that they have available. With patients, you have the choice to continue doing therapy, but that is not necessarily leading them into adulthood. So to create a yeah. plan, to formulate a plan will be helpful to think in those terms like there's a start, middle, and end phase. Yeah, yeah. So you have to envisage a sort of autonomy phase. Yep. However long that might be, you have to envisage yep. when would this be. With a complex client, it might be in the third year, for example. Yeah. With a less complex client. It doesn't really matter to me how long the therapy will be. If you decide for, for this particular patient, it will be one year, two years, three years, but put a dot on the horizon. That will be the end of it. And then you can structure and phase the time available. Yeah, yeah. The patients will not ask you to make those changes. Children do. They grow up. They change hormonally. They physically, but patients don't. So you need to be aware of that plan, and try to stick to that because it keeps you focused. Yeah, and I imagine it's more motivating for the clients too, right? When they know the therapy would end, and we can't just rely on you know on the therapy to get those changes. Yeah, it also will be very helpful for you because we all have those patients where you feel like, yeah, how long do I need to continue? It doesn't seem to be working. So every phase also has its own criteria, its own foci. So you need to check for yourself. Am I still on course? What, what is the phase that I'm in? What I would like to achieve? Did I, did I manage to do that? And if not, it, that needs to be addressed. So it's healthy for the, for for the, the client. Guys. I mean, it's kind of healthy for the client. It's also healthy for us. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I think, is the end of Remco's Magic Training School. Keep on moving it. Keep on moving with the theme. But look, Remco, we wanted to say, say thank you for you know, spending an hour with us. And, uh, you know, obviously Absolutely. our listeners are going to gain a lot from this. So, look, thank you for giving us your hour. Thanks, mate. Th thanks for coming on. It's lovely always catching up with you and getting a chance to talk schema and everything like that. It was great talking to you guys. I always feel inspired when we meet and we talk about schema therapy and how to do things. So many thanks for inviting me.